Okay, so this is Sunday, Sangha. I really like that we can do this every week. It's uh, uh, it's kind of the high, highlight of my week, in fact. Or it's the only thing on the calendar, in fact. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm I'm really glad. And and you you've asked a question that needs a detailed answer, at least in um, the point of how it fits into the teachings of the Buddha. And that we can also understand that words like perception, consciousness, and even things as weird as color. Are you sure when you use the word perception that you're talking about the same thing that I'm talking about when I use the word perception or consciousness? Or even do we even have our own definitions of these words change around? And an example of that is, are you very, very sure that when you see something green and I see the same object, that I see the same colors that you do? Not, not even that. Exactly. Maybe my green, my green is your windy. Well, the point is, is that right now we don't have any sophisticated equipment enough to know what registers different. All we know is that the light that's in the air is the same, striking the eyes. But once it hits the eyes, where do things begin to diverge? In, in in unique individual consciousness all right and they've got a whole lot of examples of this kind of thing and escher was famous for it. have you ever heard of escher could you repeat he was an name? artist that would draw stairs that looked like they were all of a sudden going upside down or um uh birds that became and not became based upon the shadows and the and the light or uh, the absence of, of form. Um, also, there is a, um, an example of two vas sitting together, except that many people don't see two vas, they see two faces looking at each other because they see the faces in the absence of the vas. And then there's the example of the old woman who is also a young chick, depending upon this thing that's out there. Do you see that as a chin or a nose? And then there's other examples that you'll find of where the, um, the frame of the window is all that you see on display. And it is intentionally warped to give the perception that it's at an angle. When you go around to see the front of it, it just gets a worse angle. It doesn't get better because the wood was better. And then you recognize that you're looking at something and you thought was square. And so you intended for it to be square, where in fact it never was square. So if I understand you correctly, it's not about just an optical illusion. It's about what's behind. behind this. Right. Well, it's not. A, here's the point. It's not about the optical. It's the illusion. And which illusion are you going to take until you recognize that it was intended for both? 
but the artist intended it that way. He worked hard at it to fool you. Okay, so these are visual perceptual things. And guess what? There is a whole business of kind around it that some people call propaganda. Other call it news. Other people call it them <laughs> because they're liars and we're not. You know, that kind of thing that's going on. So, um, we, we, uh, there's a thing here in this regard that we're talking about is confirmation bias. That we go around finding things that confirm what we already know to be true. Except that we often ignore the evidence that points out that it's not true. Because we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to handle it. We don't want to open our mind. This first is actually step into craziness. Pardon? A first step into craziness. Ah, no, it's just a nice crazy uh, hole to wallow in for a while. <laughs> And that, in fact, um, that's something that I can see is that The, of the entire population of, of adults in the United States, almost all of them are wallowing in ignorance of one form or another much of the time. And some people do it nonstop. Okay, and it's just, it's really crazy. How could people so by the millions fall into a cult? Or how can even a few people fall into a cult? Okay, the answer is, it has to do with the sophistication of the propaganda. It has to do with how the lies are fashioned. They get you to think that this thing is square, when in fact it's quite crooked. But, but where, where, is, is, uh, where is the anchor point? Because if, if so many people are prone to this sophisticatedness, I mean, I don't really think it's sophisticated. Or I uh -huh. at least have it the is, impression it is it's on not that various sophisticated. Levels. It's on many, many, many levels. There's various ways in doing it. Okay. But in fact, I wouldn't even go so far as to uh, say it's a rainbow because a rainbow is still one dimensional. But it's at least two or three dimensional. And so it's very, very complicated about how bad the lies can be or not or sneaky or whatever like that. And, and the way of, of, of talking about it is, is that the truth is actually quite small. It's real. It's confirmable. But a lie, you lie about it and you can say all kinds of things. Be all over the place. An example of that is asking anybody, an individual on the uh, uh, Skype here, how old you are, and people will hem and haw around, and so somebody will finally come up and say 27. Then I says, okay, now I ask you again, lie to me. Now where can you go? You can go all over the place. You can start with, oh, I'm ageless. 
Or you can start with, I'm an infant. But there's no end to the number of lies that you can tell just about this one question of how old you are. That in fact, one within a year may not be an actual thing. They actually want a birth date. And then you go to the astrologer and that's not good enough. They want the exact hour that you were born and also the location. Otherwise, their mathematics falls to crap. <laughs> All right. So the point is, when I ask you how old you are, you can't tell me the truth. And I probably couldn't handle the truth. Because <laughs> I'm not an astrologer. I don't care. And they don't either. Most Western people and most Western people have a problem if someone from, let's say, Africa or somewhere else doesn't know how old they are. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's another answer. Or somewhere between data and data. Or the other answer is, I'm going to tell you how old I am, but I'm actually lying to you. But at least I answered your question. which is like on the internet. Don't ever put your exact date of birth. Always lie to them. <laughs> Why? Because then you're hard to locate among all the other lies. But if you tell them the truth, they got you spot on. All right. So this is kind of an introduction to the Dhamma now, is the perception has to be developed as a skill. And the skill is, are we going to continue to use fresh information and keep looking and investigating? Or are we going to go dig up some garbage that we thought was true and put that into the mix? Okay, can you stay in the here now? And when does perception pick up all this Sankara? Okay. We're actually now talking specifically at one level of Patika Samuppada. Talking about step, kind of step two, yeah, and four in combination together. Volitional formation and what is like? Uh, it is called Nama Rupa. And the, the word uh, that we're yeah. using perception is translated, oh my goodness, I don't know why. Uh, but the original word, nama rupa, if you understand it correctly, that means that our perception is, is to bring something in and make sense out of it. The reality is the rupa, and what we do with it, perception, is turn it in and name it, understand it. Get a hold of it. Make it mine. Uh -huh. oh, oh, wait a minute now. <laughs> but that's what we kind of do, you see. And our perception then, the outcome, actually the perception itself is a process. And the outcome of it is then an idea or a concept. And that concept then in Nepali is the salayatana. It's the internal sense thing that we came up with. 
When we saw that thing out there, we turned around and got something out of the past and painted it red or whatever we wanted to do. And then we say, aha, look at this. I know what that thing out there is. What we've got in mind has nothing to do with what we saw with our eyes. Or maybe it's close enough that we can't distinguish the difference. Or how far that is. I mean, it's always in that, it's in that gap of perception. And that if we looked and looked and looked and looked and make sure that we were looking and inspecting it, then we would really be able to see it, especially when it's a moving target. So familiarity, even familiarity with the own mind is not enough because it's it's getting solidified over time. The data changes. Uh, ah, right. But air how solidified that stone is, a Michelangelo with a chip and a hammer can come by and, and carve some some interesting curves into that thing. Make something out of it. All right. That's what humans do anyway. We're the ones who make the connections. Dogs can't see things the way that we do. But we can't smell things the way they do. And I think they got one up on us on that one. <laughs> they don't remember things very long. You can beat a dog in the morning and he'll come back and look at your face in the afternoon. You can beat your brother and he will hate you for the rest of both of your lives. <laughs> Why? So because we... every time we see the person, we can't see him new like he is right now. We have to remember what happened in the past. And that becomes part of our perception. The brother is no longer a brother now that he's hit me. Now he's an enemy. And so we keep grasping this enemy on him every time, even if he really wants to be brother and wants to be friend, we still see him as an enemy. I mean, how many families does this happen in? So are we just opera operating in the world, Lokija or Lokija? And then there is Ign the Dhamma. Ignorantly in the world yeah. without having any uh, uh, loka vita, no knowledge of the world, no being yeah. able to see it. In fact, the vita is really strange because we get the word video out of that same word that the Pali has of looking, seeing, vita. Take so a video. Remember, in fact, this is part of the quality of it is, is that if you watch what you're doing, when you set down your keys, you will remember exactly where they were and they'll be there when you go back or something happened. If you always will not remember where they put things. Right. That's another example of it is organization. We're actually learning how to organize our mind built based upon things that we know are square rather than bringing uh, perceptually distorted things in and, and, live, and live in that kind of existence. What an OS. Operation OS. system. Ah, exactly. We're in fact, police have the word for it, an MO, a method of operation. Okay. 
operation we do in the present moment, the method is the old patterns of the mind that every time we see the present moment, we perceive it through the old patterns of the mind. And that's what gives criminals a method of operation, which makes them easy to track down. Because we print all kinds of different prints, not fingerprints, but I mean, there's all kinds of imprinting that happens at uh, a good sleuth. In fact, there are the stories about such people who can pin down that stuff are legend. Two examples are Sherlock Holmes and Monk, who was a, a television series. And in fact, on Monk, they had a song that they had at the beginning of it. And the song was, it's a jungle out there. Because that's how he saw things. He saw everything as a jungle. He had, you know, like phobias of all kinds. What that made him was an absolute excellent sleuth, an absolute excellent detective. And in regard to that, he was fired from the police because he was nuts. <laughs> but every episode, they'd have some new thing that they needed his help on, and he'd come in and tinker on things, and he'd figure out what happened. <laughs> okay. It's the way that we look at things, and that's what I'm talking about literally. It's the investigation. To know how to look and to know what to look for is the map of Paticca Samapada. And the enthusiasm is coming from the fact that you're practicing correctly enough to get the mind cleaned out enough so that you can watch it work when it's working correctly. Because if it's not working correctly and you keep coming up with strange um, uh, perception results, over and over again, you look at it and every time you look at it, it's different. Then you wind up in confusion. And that's what confusion is really all about, is the evidence doesn't match what I've been told. And the Buddha's answer to that is, yeah, see the difference between what you've been told and what you can see right here, right now. And start piling that evidence up and throw the old garbage away. And so that's how we begin to change our perception by changing actually the Savayatana. Which garbage pile are we going to get our base out of? A wholesome one? Paticca Samukara and the Eightfold Noble Path are the four items we mostly use. Right. In fact, the beauty of this Paticca Samupada that we're talking about at this deep level is actually the second noble truth expanded. It's an expanded version of the second noble truth. If you know about the second noble truth, Amara's three daughters are Mohalo Badosa, greed, ill will, and delusion. Greed, ill will. We've had this conversation before, haven't we, Marcus? <laughs> Right. So these three things are the cause of suffering, cause of dukkha, the causes of dukkha, and that these things are the result. We start with ignorance, we pile on a bunch of old feelings, and we wind up in dukkha. What feelings do we have? Liking and wanting things, or ignorantly not liking things and wanting to get rid of them. But we still keep the ignorance because everything is based in ignorance. 
until you start paying attention. And then you can see when you're not in the deep dark past of all the lies that you've been told, all the propaganda that you've earned, all the crooked joints that told that you were told that all oh, it is square. You're just looking at it from an angle. Right? That's how cults are built. Oh, you need to get your perception so that you can see that this this window that we've got is actually straight. So this is the biggest or this is this is the it's the center, doing it over and over again complexity. it's not a biggie it's not a biggie it's a new habit it's a new pattern it's, it's a new way of, of complexity it's the center of the complexity i'm sorry what it's it's the center of the of the complexity because if i remember correctly uh, delusion is one of the last three fetters you abandon before becoming an arhat. So this is this yes, is a but very you abandon it as a fetter. That doesn't mean you're all knowing. That doesn't place you up there in a satellite with extra super duper goggles or something. Exactly. Exactly. All right. In fact, the real fetter is ignorance in the sense that I don't know enough. I need more. I need more. It's a, it's, a, it's a need, and it has a fear base to it. But when you come to the point that you know enough that you're satisfied finally, you don't need any more. I mean, imagine going to a buffet where you've got all you can eat. There still comes a time when you don't want to eat it all. I mean, when you walk in there, you want to eat it all. But after four or five plates, I can't make it more than four or five full plates of food. <laughs> that, I mean, I just can't do it anymore. There comes a limit to it all. Everything has limits to it. And so this is what we're talking about. It's just a little dabble to you over and over and over and over again. Don't make things big. Make them interesting. Continuing interesting. But look at where you're going. One of the little jokes is that um, Christianity <clears throat> is all about selling a plastic Jesus so that you put it on the dashboard of your truck to keep you from crashing into the tree. If you don't buy that plastic Jesus, you're going to crash your truck for sure. And the Buddha says, hang on. Why don't you watch where you're going? That'll keep you from crashing into the tree. <laughs> oh, a lot of plastic Jesus get wound up on wrecked dashboards. <laughs> All right, so that's the idea of, of big things. Also, people, um, we can. What is an artisan is someone who is skilled at doing something. It's not something that he is. And yet we do that with uh, words like Arahat as if it was something that somebody was rather than something he's doing. He's Arahating. It's easy as pie, you know. Just sit around and do nothing, and you're air hot and all you need to do. <laughs> sometimes you feel like a nut, and sometimes you don't. We have to start watching 
all of this in Nietzsche to begin to see, because we've got human minds. And the best thing about a human mind that makes it so unique is that we can put things together. We do remember well enough so that we can see the connections. We can do things like learn an alphabet so that we always know that D comes after A. We don't ever get confused about that. We've seen it so many times over and over and over and over and over again. So in, in that way, we're now going to start paying attention to what's happening now because learning the ABCs was something that we did in a, in a state of trauma in, in, in grade school or grammar school. And so um, we bring that kind of Sankara back with us when I start talking about alphabets is that we have feelings about alphabets. Some of us like alphabets and some of us hate alphabets. Why is that? Oh, well, depends upon the attitude that you formed when you were ignorant. And now that you recognize that alphabets don't really mean anything to me anymore, not really, then I can throw the whole thing out. So we begin to see how we feel or we acknowledge how we feel about things. We keep doing that over and over and over again, and pretty soon we begin to clean out all of the Sankara. And another way of talking about it is, is that every time that we have a negative thought, imagine that the thought has some sort of residual exhaust, like a fire has smoke, or the exhaust of a car, even the electric cars have exhaust of some sort or another at the power plant, wherever they came from. Or the solar panels had to be manufactured and there was a whole lot of waste. Okay, so there's always the trash to take out, the residual. The sand cars is your own junkyard, your own residual pile of crap. And everyone is an emperor of our own pile of crap. The question is, are you going to be drowning under it? Are you going to be clawing your way to the top? Or are you going to sit on top of your world? Your choice based upon your attitude. And it doesn't have to do with the content of the quality of the heap of trash. It's, it has to do with the change of attitude. Are you on top of your life or are you buried under it? This is the Sama Sankapa, or in fact, there is, um, you, you heard me talk about that the teaching of the Buddha fits really, really tightly together. It's all just one little teaching, but we can expand it and look at the various fingers. All right. And so the whole point about this particular Samapada is, is that it fits back into the way of the practice of um, the Eightfold Noble Path, that that's where it's all about. And you see that Eightfold Noble Path recurring over and over and over and over and over again in various contexts. One of the examples of it is, is the seven factors of enlightenment. Well, what the factors of enlightenment are is unremitting sati, unremitting mindfulness unremitting investigation. Here we go again. This is the Eightfold Noble Path. It's just the fulfillment of the path. 
The next one is unremitting energy. Why? Because our right effort became really easy because we're really good at this. Like a skilled craftsman. Let's say a skilled bricklayer. For him, the bricks aren't heavy. And all it has to do is tap it a couple of times and it's precisely where it needs to be. But the new guy hasn't practiced at bricklaying at all. And it's an effort for him everything he does. Same is true with automobile mechanics or any other job that, that is a complex task. They're all like that. And this one, unfortunately, is the only real task that has no physical outside attributes other than the expression on your face. All of the other stuff that you do, whether it's learning to play football or playing a piano or a violin or carving wood or whatever skill that you're learning that requires this over and over again to it has an output that other people can see. And we sort of get proud of that kind of stuff. And so we think, oh, well, I'll get pride if I can do this stuff on the inside. I, nobody can see. They don't know what's going on in there. But also the other part of it is, is that you don't know what's going on in anybody else's mind either. All we can do is read the face, the postures, the smiles, the confusion. All of that is all we can do. And we can make inferences, but we still don't know why he's smiling and he's not. We don't know. We don't know what's in each other's mind, which means that there is no one who's going to do the right effort to fix this thing other than you. You're the only one who can see it <laughs> if you will look. <laughs> and this is what the second noble truth is all about, is taking full on responsibility for our own dukkha. That we do it. We manufacture it. We skillfully make the blade of that knife, and then we very carefully, with strong force, intentionally stab ourselves in the back. And then we turn it around and stab ourselves in the throat. And then we stab ourselves in all kinds of metaphorical places. We just keep doing that over and over and over again. And the reason for it is, is because we've got all of this crap from the past. That's what we manufacture the new sword from. And guess what? You don't have to, just because you've got sword parts staying in all of your garbage doesn't mean you've got to use sword parts now to manufacture whatever the moment is. That we can go find better stuff rather than that old crap that we got in there. Bad feelings that we had when we were really ignorant, because now we're going to be wise. Why? Because we're looking at what's going on. And when you see and recognize that what you see is what is happening, or as they say, what you see is what you get. And when you understand that, that what you see is what you get, you'll start longing for things that you don't see. That it's all in the mind. Anything you see that's not right in front of you, you don't get it. And we're going around wanting things that we don't have out of sight. And we don't keep it out of mind. We bring that into our mind and then say, I want it. And then we feel bad. So there's all kinds of things that we have in that sewer. I call it a sewer. We want uh, uh, come clean out the uh, cesspool or the, um, uh, what do they call it? Not a cesspool. 
but a septic tank, that's what they call it. And every new moment, we throw down our own toilet into the past, which means that the new moments become a kind of a toilet also. It too rots and becomes sewage. You threw a hamburger down the toilet, it's not going to stay hamburger for long. It's going to wind up being sewage. You wouldn't want to eat it again after it's in the sewer. Right? It's in the past. It's dead. Until we recognize, wait a minute, I can start layering the whole sewer with new hamburgers they float. If I very carefully and watch things, I can keep piling new wholesome thoughts on top of the past. And pretty soon, every time that I step into the sewer, I just walk on hamburgers. That you can, in fact, have enough wholesome thoughts over and over and over again that every time your perception is needed to go get some uh, material, you're going to get some really wholesome good stuff. A warm fuzzy rather than a cold prickly, or whatever the, the expression is. It, but it's our choice to recognize that it takes over and over and over again to start layering things down so that we don't go back in the deep dark past. That that's at best just informational, but it's not something to base any present decisions on feelings or anything on. It's just old stuff. Where this present moment is good stuff. Check it out. I, I really invite you to check out how nice things are right here, right now, wherever you are, recognize it. I mean, even in a library, you are safely quiet. <sighs> what a relaxation that is. No place to go and nothing to do, and I can just be here and everything's hunky-dory. Life is good, I've heard them say. It was Mel Brooks who said, it's good to be king. But in a way, remember, you are the king. You're the king of your own house. You've got a castle here. And if king ain't good enough, be your own god. I mean, this is your whole world. Be a champion in your whole world. Be in charge of your world, rather than being a victim of it. You're the one who runs this place. And how do we get into that state of being? This is actually the word in Pali is Shraddha that is uh, wrongly translated into the word faith. Shraddha is not faith. Shraddha is the confidence of over and over and over and over again, putting in the coin and getting the gold bar out. Over and over and over again, you wind up being a winner every moment. And everybody around you is a winner also. So when we have that kind of attitude, the words or the descriptions or the namas that we're adding to this rupa. I'm talking about a rupa here, a real experience of a feeling of, wow, I've got it. I'm the boss here. I'm the king. I'm the emperor of this pile of shit. And we have to be able to get that. That's the full-on 
pity, the realization of that comes with that confidence of being a winner. So we've seen that now Anapanasati Sutta is fitting directly in with first jhana, which is fitting directly into the five faculties, which is closely directly related to the Eightfold Noble Path, which we've been getting to get this. So where does that connection come from? The five faculties start with confidence, which is just another word for the Samasankapa. Getting our confidence, getting our mojo, understanding that I can clean out my mind. Never mind that it keeps coming back over and over again. Out it goes again. And if it comes in and, and, and takes a while, and I've let it come in, and then I recognize I don't like it, well, throw it out now. Don't worry about, oh, I let it in and stay for five or ten minutes. Well, I'm, you know, it was okay then, <laughs> but it's not now because I can see it, and out it goes. We keep doing that. We keep putting that nickel in, and we keep getting the gold bar. Well, free them again. <laughs> free at last. <laughs> don't have to worry about it anymore. So the other aggregates of um, that, the Shraddha, um, sorry, I keep using the Sanskrit word. It's actually Sada in the Pali. Shraddha is a uh, Hindi. In fact, I knew a Shraddha. She's a good friend of mine way back when, and so I can't shut my mouth and say the Pali word correctly. So forgive me, I use the word Shraddha. But that's the competence. Okay, in fact, Mashrada actually lived up to her name. This was the word, the name that she was given, and that's often done in, in Asia is, is that they give you the name that you need to do. That's your goal, is to live up to your name. So if you get a name like Dhamma V2, that means you've got to see and know the Dhamma. Dhammarato means you've got to enjoy the heck out of Dhamma. It's delightful. Every minute is delightful. I sell delight. It's free of charge. Have a few. <laughs> and so, Santi Caro is another name like that. And notice that I'm talking about just the names of what's so and mo. Guess what? This is not magic. This is what the old monks can see in somebody and see their potential. And it's to be developed. This is one of the values of a spiritual name. Why? Because you actually are now taking control of that Nama Rupa. And you're taking this raw diamond and giving it a polish, giving it a name. That happens to each one of us as we become this champion inside, the lion. Buddha was known to be a lion. He was also known to be a bull, but in fact, in the Pali, it's not bull in the sense that we think of bull. It's a bull elephant. Bigger than these cow things. I mean, a bull elephant or something. And so that was what he was named. The two top dudes in the forest were the two names that he wore. So... When we get that, we have to also balance it with the other things, which has to do with sati, investigation, and uh, the effort is, um, let us say, 
directed in the sense of outgoing meta. And so this is the path. This is, in fact, back to the Eightfold Noble Path, which is the same thing as the seven factors of enlightenment, which in, in this case, the five uh, faculties, really helps us to tie this together about how important it is to change our perception so that we wind up coming out of the past, ever how short a past it is now, a champion smelling like hamburgers as opposed to a victim smelling like it just got out of the suit. Because <laughs> so that's what we do. I mean, it's your choice, moment by moment by moment. <laughs> and so this is actually the particular samapada that we've been talking about, which is starting with ignorance. We begin to pile on things and they rot, and we keep piling on thinking that our past is valuable. And we keep messing with it and bringing it up and using it and all that kind of stuff. Where in fact, it's just an old pile of shit. And what we need to do is to start looking at what's going on right here, right now. And this is how we use perception, is we keep going from consciousness perception, consciousness perception, look and see, look and see, rather than look and mull. It's the mulling that we do. Mulling things over means we're going back into the past and trying to make sense out of it, what's happening now with what we knew from the past. An example of that is, is that a charlatan is trying to sell you something. Instead of trying to figure out from all you know about what's happened in the past, the better thing to do is to watch closely what he's doing. Because <laughs> if he's a charlatan, he will tip his hand soon enough. So this is the whole quality then of this here now. And we want to practice that as a skill. And the skill is sati. To practice the skill of sati, to remember, to wake up and look. To remember, to wake up and look. Remember, to wake up and look. And if you look and see this sequence and begin to say, wait a minute, something stinks here. Now we take the right effort to sweep it out. Let's go do something else with the mind. I think about Dhamma. Tell us it was a joke. I think about how good it feels to take this breath. And if you don't think that this breath is great, just wait a couple of minutes. And then take it and see how great this breath is. <laughs> and just keep coming back to the here now. Over and over and over and over build some uh, layers on our sewer of precious, delightful moments. When you look into the past, look into the immediate past of how nice it's been, rather than into the deep past about how bad it was. There's another way of talking about it. And so in this regard, we're actually looking at perception is kind of something between between two kinds of consciousness one is the poly word of um uh vinya which we would translate into consciousness but philosophers have a completely different version of what is consciousness okay 
and that is the 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 food after it's been cooked. So the raw meat is one kind of consciousness and the cooked dinner is another kind of consciousness. I can say I can see it. And it is something that I'm pointing at like a tree. And then I can say, I see what you mean. Now, when I say I see what you mean or I understand what you're getting at, that's actually talking about the meal that's been served as opposed to what you actually hear, what you actually see. And the um, perception is the, the killing, the cooking, the dressing, the cooking, and the presentation of the meal. And then what we make of it is that end result, which is saliatina. Yeah, it's beef, all right. But this beef that you've got has got very little to do with the beef that was out there on the hook. So the raw input data, the idea is to continue to take raw input data, more and more and more and more raw input data, rather than keep processing and keep killing everything. Just let it be. Just take in new data. Become a funnel for information that's coming to you by the tons in this present moment that most of us are completely ignoring because we're thinking about something in the head. We're not letting stuff in. We're perceiving about something that's not even here. So let's stop doing that. Start paying attention to this present moment. You'll begin to see how nice this is. Because thoughts that have to do with the past are dangerous. I can step right into cow pie in my mind anytime. Or we're still slip on it and wind up being covered with it. <laughs> and so... We recognize, watch every step. Keep watching where we're going. Keep noticing this present moment. And how do we do that? It's by remember. Remember to look. Remember to look. Remember to look. And what we're actually doing is, is that we keep going back now to the senses. More and more mind moments spent in sensory input. And fewer and fewer mind moments spent in perception. And fewer still mind moments of eating the meal. And then even fewer mind moments of getting sick and throw up about the meal we just ate. Gosh, that's an interesting description. The Petitra Samapada just right there. That's an interesting process. <laughs> just keep looking at the cows. Don't go the process of killing them and preparing them and then eating them and uh, feeling bad about it. Than heating and being sick, which is very dissatisfying. So, this is Petitra Samupada, and it's, uh, it's good for us to see not only this as a sequence that I've taught you in forward order this way, but we begin to wake up to see it happening in reverse. Why? Because we're slow. So the first thing we wake up or the, and notice is, is that I am really sick over what I ate yesterday. 
And then next time it happens, you wake up while you're heaving. And then the next time you wake up to the taste of it and recognize that this is poison and you throw it out. And this is where we practice Anapanasati. That's the beginning point of don't chew on the poison. Recognize that this thought is unwholesome and spit it back out. Don't eat it. Devour more of it. This meal is poison. <laughs> why? Because it was cooked in the sewer. That's why. <laughs> so, we have to be mindful of the things that we chew on. We have to recognize, is this poison? Or is this merely delicious and not good for me? Or is this really okay and I can really enjoy it happily? Is it dangerous right now? Is it going to be dangerous later? Or am I going to be free from any danger? Just enjoy the meal. So, you're your own cook. You're your own emperor. You're the one who's manufacturing all of this um, perception things. And I'm right there when I said that I'm actually talking about the distinction between um, the cooking process and the cooked food. So that which is perceived is perceived because of the process of perception or perceiving. And so we make a process into a noun. And often it's preconceived. That means that we got it out of the garbage. In other words, we automatically just jumped to that conclusion. We didn't even bother to look to see what was going on. We already know what's going on. We preconceived. We already know what it is. That's uh, preconceived, which is also uh, what we were referring to earlier of uh, confirmation bias. Okay, like, oh, this so it tastes so good, I don't have to worry about that it smells like almonds. I'm going to go ahead and eat it anyway. What is it? Does anybody know what is it that smells like almonds? Cyanide. Cyanide, right. That's it. <laughs> so we have to start to wake up and look at what we're eating on. What what is what is our mind chewing on? Is it poison? Is it unwholesome? If it is, let's spit that out and find something better to chew on. So this is how we understand now at a different level. Remember that we went through the process of waking up the next day, waking up when we were sick. Now we're waking up at the point of testing the bite of food that we're at. Later in the process, which we've been also talking about today, is how did we prepare this? Where did the poison come from? Was the poison coming from the fact that the kitchen hadn't been cleaned after we poisoned somebody yesterday on drug intentionally? <laughs> Where did this come from? So that's when we begin to see this issue of how perception works. 
because we do that perception in order to live in this society you've got to do that perception you can't walk around blithely just experiencing the here now you walk right into traffic and wonder well, how beautiful that car is is coming up so quickly bang <laughs> no we actually need the fear we need to have that old deep stuff there to process to keep us still alive so we can't be there in fact there's um um i think it's a uh a badia or badaya sutra it's in the uh the ones in the uh upadana uh number 10 i think you can check that if you want to, uh, Marcus. But anyway, the Bad Daddy Sutta is, is that this guy who is, I don't want to go through the whole story. He got the information from the Buddha that he wanted while he was out, while the Buddha was out on Thendabad and the Buddha didn't have time to explain to him, but he was already a deep practitioner. That afternoon, he was dead. Why? Because the Buddha gave him this simple teaching, and that is, let the scene be merely the scene. Let the herd be merely the herd. Let the cognized be merely cognized. That was the teaching he gave this guy, and it killed him mm. that afternoon. Is, is this the one with the cow? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did not understand. The cow says, don't come here. And he would have known that instinctively. Right, similar, to the, cow, similar to the cow, right? Yeah, yeah, he just left the cow as a cow. He didn't say cow, danger, 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 <laughs> Will Robinson. <laughs> he didn't do that. He just said cow. <laughs> <laughs> So, so interesting that most people go from one delusion to another in this in this regard. It's it's so simple, but we we are so prone to this conceptualization process. Well, this is the whole quality then is to wake up to this. Start watching what's going on. Recognizing that there is this thought needs to be inspected to see is it poison or not? Is this an unwholesome thought? Where is this thing going? How sick am I going to get if I kill down this rat hole? And so we throw it out. Then eat something that's more delicious. That's the first step. In fact, that that we're talking about would be the first jhana. That that we're talking about of tasting the food as we're eating it is also what Bhikkhu Buddhadasa would say, making the mind fit for work is because we're actually tasting what's happening in the moment. Even though we've got a mouthful of poison, we just recognize that and out it comes. <laughs> but we weren't well enough to keep out of the poison yet. But that's the process we go through. And that's what Bhikkhu Buddha Tassa talks about mindfulness at the point of contact. When that mental food, or the example we're having of that morsel, hits your mouth, hits your taste buds, what does it taste like? What kind of feelings are you going to have with this? Are they going to be wise feelings, or are they going to be ignorant feelings? 
If they're ignorant feelings, then we likely want to whoop it right down without really inspecting it. And so, wisdom at the point of contact. I, I saw the Sutra Central. What was the? One, uh, Majjhima Nikaya 140, 140. Oh, it's repeated in the Majjhima Nikaya also. I think I so, was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was quoting the original. A lot of stuff that's in the Udana winds up uh, in later literature. That's why we know it's so old. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's the original teachings of the Buddha is just all over the place. All right. But if Bad Daddy had been in a place where he was wise enough to go into that state, then he could have left seeing as merely seeing and really gotten a big kick out of it. Leaving hearing as just merely hearing, which is nothing but being in the here now. Not just those two senses, but we've got breathing and touching and uh, uh, sense contact and all kinds of stuff that's happening in this present moment if we don't pay attention to it instead of trying to make sense out of it. Because how are we going to make sense out of this present moment? By digging into the past. So let's just enjoy this present moment, but you got to do that where you're safe, secluded, away from other people. You don't do it while you're out on walking meditation. Then there was cows. Nowadays there's trap. All kinds of ways to die when you're completely fearless. Why? Are we completely fearless? It's because the fear is part of the Sankara. And it comes up and we process that cow or that car and we're afraid. And so we don't step into traffic. But if you leave the scene as merely the scene, it's just a beautiful car. Here it comes. <laughs> I know this for a fact because I've been there, done that. That car came so close it didn't whip my robe, and he was still going. It just looked his split. <laughs> didn't slow down, and I didn't speed up. It was right in front of the water about 11 o'clock at night, <laughs> and I was almost a messy robe. <laughs> but it, I mean, and that's how. I mean, that's how it is. I wasn't afraid of that car. I knew he wasn't going to hit me, but he came so close that it hit the robe right behind me. <laughs> And uh, and it's a, it's a, uh, if if people see this in in your posture in your face etc it it disturbs them so much it's it's easier to <laughs> act human it's easier to act human about what you feel <laughs> that's right Arahat say they don't care they're all right. What would we say about craving for like longer time in seclusion? Is that like kind of avoiding of actual practice? Because you actually do get like real practice in in life, but then seclusion is just like dropping out and getting a feel for yourself again. Well, remember that this longing, first off, is not a longing in the sense of a feeling. The first of it is is a longing as a thought. Like, gee, wouldn't it be nice if? 
which is a kind of a whataboutism, rather than shanti is to wake up right now and have that moment right now. Take that deep breath. He says, well, I'm really glad I remembered that everything is okay. <laughs> I don't have to fall for seclusion. I'm in it. I'm wallowing. <laughs> But you see, the Sankara that you're carrying around is you're not supposed to do it. Now, this is not the time or the place. And the answer to that is, if you're safe, it's the time to do it and the place to do it. And if you're not safe, go get yourself safe. And then use that safety as part of your um, training to keep recognizing, hey, I'm so safe. Well, can't nothing touch me. I'm so safe. That brings you I back see. to being the emperor again. Go ahead. Yeah, I, 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 I see that I can find like safety moments in my day-to-day -day operations, even without having to move myself out of like situations with people who can still come back to that safety. But I, I was thinking in the terms of like practice-wise with like longer periods of seclusion as, as seeing, I guess it's a, del a delusion of it of like, oh, it can, it, it can, benefit to your practice even though I, I never seen like benefit from long seclusion before all right if you can remember this thought and that is oh if i can take a deep breath and relax and feel good right now then i'm satisfied right now i don't have to worry about getting satisfied in the future i'm satisfied right now and the whole idea of a long retreat is hoping to get more and more satisfaction the longer you're sitting there. No, you're not getting more satisfaction, more and more of it. You're just having it right now, wherever you are, whether you're on retreat or not, when you remember, because you can go off on a retreat and have a real pity party. A lot of people do. You'd be surprised at how many dead corpses there are in the woods. <laughs> you can't blame the bears for all of it. <laughs> so it's not about the retreat. It's about how do you remember this moment? Come on, wakey, wakey. This is it. This is all we've got is right here, right now. <sighs> Just take a deep breath and be back here. We don't have to keep perceiving and making sense out of everything. Just let it be in the sense of just consciousness without having to turn it from the reality that it is into something we know and understand, the Nama. That's the real teaching. Guess what? When you are doing that and paying attention specifically to the consciousness, that's part of the fourth jhana. And we flicker in and out of the fourth jhana on a regular basis without even knowing about it. But we can train through the first jhana. If we can train to get in and maintain the first jhana, then when we start to go up into the higher jhanas, which means now, I am not just tasting the food. I'm out there with the cow. Because it's not a far jump. It's not a big jump. 
once we can control and operate with the first jhana, then in fact the sutras even talk about it like that, that, that there are skills to be developed with the first jhana. But those kind of sutras don't have second cousins about the second, third, and fourth jhana. They're just merely described. The real action is getting the mind to the point that you can taste the food that you're eating to be in the present moment because everything else is just about the present moment. So if you can taste what you're eating, then you can expect what it is that you're, uh, that's been cooked. Then you can expect the cooking and then you can recognize, I don't have to kill this cow. And I can just be here in nature. Open nature, open sky, beautiful paradise. I don't even have to understand it. So that's that 10th better that you were talking about, the ignorance. I don't have to understand this to enjoy it. A lot of people think, oh, I get over and uh, uh, ignorance by knowing everything. And if I know everything, then I don't have any issues with ignorance. No, I'm not going to know everything, but I still don't have any issues with ignorance. It's okay, I don't know. In fact, when you're just in this state of uh, consciousness, there is nothing to know. It's just to be seen, experienced, without knowing anything. You're not responsible for having to know all about it. That's what our culture teaches. You've got to know. And the teaching of the Buddha is all about you have to only know enough, just enough to be happy by seeing how we make ourselves unhappy. And then stop it. And so now we've got several places. We can stop when we're dead sick. We can stop when we're heaving. We can stop when we're chewing. We can stop the uh, the preparation of the food, and then we can stop killing the cow. This is teacher Samapada backwards. That's why it's in the sutras forward and backwards. It's because we understand it forward, and then we begin to practice it backwards. And smack dab there at the deepest part of the practice is perception. What are we going to do with it? Can we turn it off? Can we connect it correctly? Can we have just enough perception so that we know that we know? That's all that we know. I mean, not knowing in the sense of know all about it, but know that we know that we are awake. This happens when you wake up in the morning. The first thing that happens is you wake up and then you perceive that you've woken up. <laughs> Just enough perception to know that you're awake now. In the Pali, they talk about it as neither perception nor non-perception. The example in the sutras or actually in the Vasudhimaga is a clay bowl that has had oil in it. But it's empty now to the point you can't pour any oil out. But you can rub your fingers around the bowl and still have oil. Because the oil, oil seeps and saturates right into 
the bowl itself. And in that regard, we say, yes, perception seeps right into perception of uh, into consciousness. And we're going to be able to see and understand that. But then we don't have to do anything else with perception. We don't need a whole bowl full of oil at all. We just see we've got a bowl of <laughs> that's empty. So that's that analogy about these states that we have that we can go into when we're beginning to play with and experience. Okay, another one is the perception that the boundaries that we used to feel don't exist anymore. This is what's called infinite space, except that the word infinite is the absolute wrongest word that Bhikkhu Bodhi could have chosen. It's not infinite. In fact, the Buddha didn't even have the concept of infinite. Boundless. The concept. Boundless. What does that mean? It means where do I end and where does the, the, the wind begin? The answer to that is that I'm full of hot air. I am the wind. Begin to see that, that, that we, the, there, we're boundless. There's no boundaries there. That the boundaries are all uh, a way of perceiving. And the same way with boundless consciousness. What does that mean? That means that now it's no longer bound to perception. Which is one of the early stages of the John. Is that you no longer bind it. And that's when you have the concept of uh, both uh, boundless consciousness and nothingness. Until you take is, a little bit deeper level and then you see this in-between thing there, this killing and cooking of the food what go ahead is a boundless state is the boundless state more natural so to say in the sense it's before the perception like it's before delusions that we are boundless and then perception comes along and kind of bound, bounds us to you know has we Actually, then we have a sense of a sense to be honest yes. with you both the suttas and reality of individuals don't do it in all the same order there that in fact the order that's listed in one suit is different than the order that's listed in another and i'll give you two examples 119 and 111 they're listed in different orders not only that but 119 has only eight jhanas to where sutra number 111 has nine and the and the distinction and the important point is neither perception nor feelings. That when that that's how it's described with with Sariputta, that's the end of it. The end of it is is that you absolutely know that all your feelings come from your perception. And if you don't have perception, you don't have feelings. In other words, if you didn't make that, if you didn't cook that meal, you don't eat. You don't get sick. And so the end of perception is the end of it. Now, what I say end of it doesn't mean that now somebody who's had some whoop-to-do experience is now an arahant. 
No, this is what we mean by in the sense that we understand how the mind works. So then you can do with it what you want to do with it. Because you understand it at all its functioning parts and you polish them off and put your little gearbox back together again and it's humming right along now. Not mucked up and missing gear teeth and all the kinds of stuff that we normally have in our gearbox. We've cleaned our own clock. And seeing how it operates, taking the gears out, removing the gear from perception to consciousness, and see how they're interconnected, and then see how the gear, the perception is the driving force that gives all the ticking and talking that we do. The reason for that is because, guess what? We're all wound up. <laughs> So much for the clock metaphor. But it's all a matter of cleaning your clock, seeing all the parts, seeing all the gears, cleaning house, putting things back into correct order. Is the word samati? It's wrongly translated in the suttas in the English language by calling it concentration. And I show you the difference between alarm clock has been properly put together, properly oiled and properly wound up and everything is ticking along versus that same alarm clock that somebody takes a sledgehammer to to concentrate it. And guess what? Those concentrated clocks generally go to meditation retreats, hoping that somehow they can get unwound. Or in fact, their whole gearbox is all messed up and they need to take the darn thing apart, put it back together again correctly, which is what we're doing here. And the biggest number one skill that we need is that being in that state of first jhana, which means we can continue to apply and sustain that wholesome thought, continue to eat only wholesome food. That's the way to go. Continue to eat wholesome food over and over and over again, and pretty soon you begin to see how that wholesome food was made and what it came from and where it was. But so long as it's unwholesome food and you keep getting poisoned, you can't tell what happened. So this is the, this is the point then of why perception is so important is that we're actually in first jhana looking at this moment what's in it? what's in it what's going on do i really have to think about that email that i don't want to write oh, i don't have to think about it at all in fact if i stop thinking about it all together they may not even send me an invoice <laughs> again <laughs> so it doesn't matter This is, this is the way of practicing the teachings of the Buddha, getting into the first jhana, getting the mind to the point that we've got one wholesome thought after another, after another, after another. And now we can begin to investigate other things, like how good we feel. And what is feeling? And how did I feel this good? 
this is the wholesome food that we're feeling or that we're feeding ourselves. And the, and the results is we feel good. We like it. Delicious. Life becomes delicious. So we want to go see how did that happen? <laughs> it used to be a bunch of garbage. Now it's delicious. And so that's when we go in and start understanding this quality of perception and how we have already been changing our sewer. Now we begin to see how that sewer that we've changed now into wholesome. Still, we need to, to draw on, on that past, that perception in order to live in our society. We need to have that perception. Let's make sure that we're drawing upon wholesome past rather than unwholesome past. Or the visualization is, is now your whole sewer is covered in 10 feet deep of fresh ha hamburgers. No sewer can be found. So that's the kind of Sankara to have. Maybe I should use the word donuts. And hamburgers came to mind one time, and so I've been keeping the students going with their hamburgers instead of sewage. Having wholesome thoughts rather than poisonous. Delicious on the outside and inside, <laughs> empty. Empty, exactly, empty calories. <laughs> well, guys, does anybody have any comments about this? Did we cover perception well enough? Everybody's got their mic muted. <laughs> Marcus, you have anything to say? Everybody's got a thumbs up. I got that. Okay. Well, guys. What do we do now? <laughs> Nothing. So we'll finish. We'll see you later. Thanks, Scott. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. This has been great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. See you guys. See you guys. Thank you. Bye bye bye. bye.